Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Connecting to the big show. In I was driving and they just punched me and slapped me. I was bleeding straight away. Like I needed a new toilet brush. <laughs> and you open up your phone and there's an ad for a toilet brush. Yeah. <laughs> Where you've got health and safety incidents happening on these sites, absolutely people are worried. Join the conversation. Call 0818 96 96 96. Extra WhatsApp 083 396 96 96. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. This is the Opinion Mind with PJ Coogan. Okay, 101 things to do this morning. There's free Panto Friday. There's our friends at Foot Solutions with us again. And we have the 10K toy giveaway. All of those to come during the morning. I'll give you the password for the toy giveaway between now and 10. Remind me because I will forget. But we have such a busy morning ahead. And before we get into it, I want to ask you... Do you have a Shane McGowan story? Because I think everybody does. Because when he'd visit Cork, and I mean County Cork, any part of Cork, he could wander randomly into any pub, any shop, any chipper, and he'd just be there like an ordinary punter in the queue. And I think that is why we loved him so much. Shane McGowan, anyone have ever you know, met or spoken to, who's met or spoken to him. I met him myself. I'll tell you about that a little bit later on. I met him here in 96FM. How much of a gentleman he actually was behind all that mad, crazy image. And the news broke yesterday, about 5 to 12, as we were getting off the air. A statement issued by his, his wife, who he met at a pub, at a birthday party. She was only... 16 going on 17 when they met in 1984 they were dating himself and Victoria they were dating by 1986-87 and they married in 2018 but they were a constant item for nearly that 40 years they were just meant to meet and meant to be together and her statements about him in the last couple of days have been beautiful well, it's, it's in all your papers today fantastic photographs fantastic memories great writing great articles because people have been preparing for this we, we kind of knew the poor devil wasn't long for the world and the Irish Sun uh, stands up there as among the best coverage this morning joined by Ken Sweeney, uh, showbiz editor I suppose Ken, we all knew the poor devil wasn't long for the world so people had time to put their obits together but you almost run out of superlatives don't you when you're talking about this fella, good morning 
Yeah, it's the wonderful we live in a country. I mean, you know, a couple of years ago when Leonard Cohen died, that led the news on, on RTE, which I thought was brilliant. And it's even bigger for Shane McGowan because he was one of our own. I suppose the amazing thing about Shane McGowan, you have to remember, is he's actually born in the UK. Phil Innett, Michael Flatley, some of these bigger, biggest promoters of Irish culture are actually born abroad. But boy, did they embrace it. And Shane McGowan, a wonderful guy. I met him around 2000. I was sent up by a newspaper um, to the Mean Fiddler in Dublin. Ronan Keating had covered Fairy Tale in New York and my newspaper thought that Shane mightn't like it because obviously he'd taken out some of the offending words in it. Yeah. But Shane McGowan absolutely loved Ronan Keating's cover. Did and he's he doing really? a DJ set in the he loved it, yeah, he loved it. He's getting royalties from it. And like like any songwriter, anyone interpreting his music, he loved. And of course, Ronan Keating had a huge, a huge audience and sold a lot of records. But the thing that struck me when I met Shane McGowan then was um, you, you saw Shane McGowan often on TV and he was very slow answering questions. That wasn't the case when you met him face to face. He didn't have that delay in talking to you. I remember a very painful late, late years ago where he took a long time to answer the questions and you were just, you were just dying. But no, he was very he was he was very articulate and he spoke very quickly and he had a lot of great stories and Victoria was with him and they were playfully having a slagging match and it was Christmas Eve and the main fiddler to year 2000 and I thought I was in the middle of fairy tale in New York you know really? they had yeah. a great guy managing them Shane McGowan had a guy the guy who managed the Pogues was a guy called Frank Murray and he was very much still around. And I remember late night gigs in Hout and the Summit in Hout where Shane was playing as a favourite to the guy that, that ran the pub and, uh, you know, chatting to him up there as well. Uh, I think it's kind of amazing. He saw some anger, a, a certain anger, a certain energy in Irish traditional music. And he, you know, being, being into punk, being into the jam, he connected those things. He connected the the, the, the anger in sort of the Wolf Tones and the Dubliners. And uh, you got to remember at the start, as well. A lot of purists in the Irish music scene, they didn't actually like the Pogues. They, they weren't happy what the Pogues Absolutely. were doing at all. Absolutely. I remember it and very it well, Ken. until the Dubliners came well. along and did you know, uh, did, did the Irish Rover. That that really gave them the seal of approval. But it didn't matter at that stage Shane McGowan and the Pogues had set the world alight with Irish music. Right. My, my first memory is Sally McLennan. That's my first Pogues memory. And, and, and yeah. the critics, the purists saying, oh God no, what are they doing? They're punking Irish music. But I remember thinking at the time as a young DJ earning me crust in the nightclubs, watching this song bursting dance floors night after night. I said, we're going to hear more of these fellas. Yeah. And you know what I loved is the fact that in the 80s, when Duran Duran were in their lurid pink suits on yachts, that the Pogues were going on top of the Pops. And what did they wear? They wore the suits, like the, the suits that the that Irish builders wore. They wore the suits that the Irishmen who built Britain wore. Those kind of like, you know, secondhand black suits. And if you look at those publicity pictures for the Pogues, that's what they're wearing. Can you imagine in the record company when they were new, the Pogues were going on top of the Pops to be saying to them, listen, would you not wear this? bright orange jacket or would you not wear this or that not a bit of it and mm-hmm. you know the, the fact as well I loved that the Pogues used they didn't use electric guitars all rock music is electric guitars the Pogues used acoustic guitars most of the music the Pogues made in Fairy Tale in New York it's all acoustic guitars and that's absolutely wonderful and if that song doesn't go to number one this Christmas well it never will I hope it will you I know, was looking like at so. the history of it last night Ken yeah. it was kept off the number one spot by the Pet Shop Boys in the the year it came out, and it's never made number one in the UK. I think it could be number one by Sunday. 
the way charts work these days. You'd well, I know. I think the, the t- there's only one. Shane passed away yesterday. There's only one. It's, there's only an afternoon where people could have. I think the new charts. The, we're talking about the UK charts. I think they come out. Uh, they come out this evening. So I'd say definitely. I'm sure it's number one on iTunes. But I'd say by next week, coming into Christmas, it'll definitely be number mm. one. And you know, it's I, the thing. I, I, you know, it was a very special thing yesterday being in Ireland for Shane McGowan. You know, because you could see as the rest of the world woke up people Irish people in Australia and in America as they woke up to this news you could see little wakes breaking out yeah. um, and I, I was just thinking of my own favourite Pogue song Summer in Siam which isn't <sighs> one, really about Ireland or anything but it's just so natural and that's the thing about music I'm an ex-musician myself and and, and uh you know, if if the music is if music flows, if it's if it's natural, if it came naturally, it just flows off the radio. And Shane McGowan's music does that. A lot of the critics in the early days were put off by you know the, the obvious drunkenness, the broken teeth, the fact that they looked a little bit crazy and mad and off the wall. That image, I thought, Ken, at one point, they were crafting that image as well as having it anyway. They were crafting it, and behind it was this hidden genius. Yeah, and obviously the the, the drink obviously fueled um, Shane McGowan's imagination. It pretty made him gregarious. I mean, he you know he had all sorts of mental health issues when he was young, right. as you said, like Johnny Rotten of the Sex Pistols. He looked kind of unusual, and it was said uh, by Richard Balls in his book, his biography of um, Shane McGowan, that it was seeing Johnny Rotten and how Johnny Rotten again from a, a London Irish, like an Irish background, so unusual looking that gave Shane McGowan the the, the inspiration to get up on stage and perform. And certainly for those early Pogues albums, it was drink and and that fueled it. But, you know, I just want to say this as well. The wonderful thing, the the Irish, you know, the second generation Irish in Britain, you know, we think about the parents of the Sex Pistols, you know, the the Smiths had Irish parents, Kate Bush, Kevin Rowland of Dexy's Midnight Runners. He's got this amazing, but top of all of them is is Shane McGowan. And uh, he really loved Ireland and... um, Mm. That came across, and you know, there's so many people. The wonderful thing this morning I loved about the Irish newspapers is there's so many uh, people. Geez, I worked with newspapers, and they're writing their own tributes. Guys, I didn't even know are still in the business, but they've all come out today with their picture bylines. Damien Lane and Barry Moore, and a good friends of mine in their own paper, but lots more. Neil Leslie has done a piece for the Mirror, um, and Rory Tevlin has done a piece in the Indo, and they, they all had a special connection mm. to the Pogues and to McGowan, and you know, I. I just switched on the radio this morning on another station and they were playing Pogues music and I just thought isn't this wonderful I mean a station that wouldn't play the Pogues in a million years <laughs> where we're playing Shane McGowan's music and yeah. I, I just found that lovely yeah yeah the thing I think that I mean, what a year it's been Ken on a broader thing we, we lost Shane we lost Sinead and we lost yeah. Christy like we and just yeah. take those three names yeah. Know. But but their their music, you know, they leave behind their music, their legacy, their music, like all great artists do. Um it's very unfortunate they all go in, in, in the one year. Um that's life. Yeah. Um I suppose I was being told, you know, twenty years ago I was writing for other papers and I was being told that Shane McGowan had turned up and he looked like he looked terrible and he can't be long for this world. And look at all these people he outlived. He outlived Ronnie Drew and um <laughs> Barney McKenna, Kirsty McCall, 
you know, so, so many people. Yeah. Um, I think uh, his his father's still still knocking around. That's right. um, so right. obviously longevity in the family. But uh, the, I think Shane McGowan was challenged on this many many times about the lifestyle he was leading, and he said it was his life and he could lead it any way he wanted. And he's got to sixty five. There's other poor devils who didn't, you know, who didn't have that kind That's of a life. And sadly, passed away earlier. But but as I'm going back to what I said earlier, but the music is still there and the music is fabulous. Music will outlive him for many, many decades. Ken Sweeney, thank you. Ken Sweeney, showbiz editor with The Irish Sun. You join us, Justin. I think we'll be a little bit special this morning for at least our first hour. We're going to remember a giant of Irish music. And yes, he was born in the UK, but he was from Tipperary. He grew up here and we lost him yesterday. The great... Uh, Shane McGowan, one of his friends. Oh, will I go? Will I go straight? The people who turned up to see him in hospital uh, over the last few weeks on what was to be, sadly, his final illness. Bono came in to see him. Moya Brennan of Clannad, Damien Dempsey. Uh, Daniel O'Donnell came in to see um, uh, Shane McGowan in hospital. Imelda Mayo, who was a very close friend of his. And I think either to see him just as he came out of hospital or after he came out of hospital, I wasn't aware that they were friends. Uh, I really wasn't aware they were friends. Um, ear, uh, ear rooks are on of Sinn Féin. Uh, Jerry Adams. Jerry, good morning. I, di- I, I knew you, you. Hello, PJ. Good morning to you and, and welcome to the show. And, and my, my condolences on the loss of a man who I didn't aware was, wasn't aware was quite a good friend of yours. Yes, well, th- thank you, first of all, PJ, for having me on your program. And once again, condolences to Victoria Mary and to James Scholar Morris and to his uh, sister Siobhan and to his wider family and his many, many friends. Uh, yeah, Shane first came to West Belfast way back when the community was being treated by pariahs, by the Irish and British establishment. and. We put together Fela and Fobble, and we invited uh, artists, entertainers, uh, poets, writers, painters uh, to come in. And we also provided the platform for people from uh, West Belfast to show their own talents. And Shane came, and uh, it was a dangerous time. It was in the mid-1980s. He came to a, a little place called Spring Hill. And uh, he just wowed. The 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 the, the pogs were in in their primacy at the time. They were top form, shameless and top form. He actually stayed two or three days, uh, and then was back and forth uh, since. And I met him in London a few times, and then over, over the years. So I'm really really sorry uh, at his uh, passing. Although it was a blessing. I saw him last Wednesday. I was going to the hospital to see him and. Victoria told me he was getting out, so she she detoured me to the house, and uh, I, I sort of knew that he was on his last legs. Although he was very bright uh, and positive, but you know the poor man had six months he was in the hospital. PJ, that's right. There was a profound intelligence there, wasn't there, Jerry, and an incredible yeah. understanding of heritage and history. Well, he was much more intelligent than me. And he was extremely well-read uh, and instinctively on the side of the underdog, uh, the marginalized people who were down, down, downtrodden, understood colonialism, understood the history of Ireland, 
was part of the diaspora, so lived that experience as a, an exile of an alien uh, abroad. Uh, and he was just totally immersed mm. in both republicanism, but particularly in, in Irish culture and, and in nature. Uh, so he was he was a, an amazing talent. And I mean, I, I happen to rate the Pogues as some of the best, one of the best, perhaps, of, of that genre of Irish musicians. Musically, they were they were just top drawer. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Shane, of course, pepped the whole thing up with punk and trad and so on. But also his own words. I, I, as a poet, he didn't like to be called the poet, by the way. But mm-hmm. as a poet, I, I think he was just totally and absolutely exemplary. Mm-hmm. And any one of his great songs could be written down and read as a poem. And, and that was the great thing about him as a lyricist. You could take any one of the songs, no matter how mad they were, rock and roll style, write them down and put them down on a piece of paper, and you had a poem. Well, and Ron said that very lyrically in his, in his, uh, his way. He did. That, that he was an outstanding lyricist and that his songs could be uh, performed as, uh, mm-hmm. as, as poems. But uh, I think that, that insight that you referred to, uh, you know, I, I, I think it was just instinctive. It's distinctive on his on on his part. Uh, very very bright, uh, curious. Never lost his innocence. You know, when when we're, when we're children, we live in our imagination, and then it's educated out of us or it's beaten out of us. Shane, Shane never lost it. He, he was still childlike and his. That's right. That, that's uh, very He never really and, grew up. He he refused in a way. He refused to stop being a rebellious teenager, and that was part of his charm. Yes, and and he, he I remember one time on an in in interview saying somebody said to him that he have a death wish, and he said, "No, no, I don't have a death wish. I I want to live," and he did. And if you consider uh, the challenges that he met, the challenges that he overcame. Uh, and he kept coming back against all that uh, difficulty. Uh, you know, it's, 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 he, he was able to produce out of that pain uh, such beautiful words and to touch people emotionally. Music, music is, uh, and you would know this better than me, but music is something that I find it hard to describe, how it can pick you up, how it can make you cry, how it can yeah. strengthen you, how it can distract you, you know? It's the, and, it's, uh, it's the great it's the great unification. If music in unites us all, Jerry, at some level. Thank you very much. Ear Ook to Ron Hin Fain, of course. Uh, Jerry Adams. Um a friend of Shane McGowan. I wasn't aware how close they were but one of the last people to chat to him uh, in the days before he passed away. Thank you, Jerry. 0818 96 96 96. Yeah, your, your stories. Um, did you meet him when and where? I met him here at 96 FM. He was in for an interview. I can't recall why he was in, why he was in Cork, but he was here for an interview. And after the interview, there was a taxi booked for about half ten in the morning and we were to bring him down to the front door and meet the taxi and put him into the taxi and the taxi was arranged to bring him wherever he needed to go. I needn't tell you that even at that time of the morning Shane had had a few. So our job was take him downstairs, 
taxi was booked, who was one of the regular drivers that had the radio station account, and we would tell him where to go, and he was delighted to be getting this celebrity passenger and all of that. So we're downstairs about half ten in the morning. Lovely morning it was. And he's standing there, Shane is standing there with a bottle sticking out of his pocket, which was seven up, but wasn't, if you know what I'm getting at. And he was chatting to us and laughing and joking and smiling. And we're waiting for the taxi. Where's that taxi? Where's that taxi? Where's the taxi? And the taxi was coming. Next thing you know, across the road from us here, of course, is Skullvira. And they were out on their break. And some one of the young students from Skullvira spotted Shane McGowan across the road. Let us scream out of her. She must have been, what, 14, 15? Let us scream out of her. And came across the road and gave him a book and said, can I have your autograph? And he signed it for her. And before you know it, there was a cluster around him of young girls from across the road from, from Skullverda. And he took pick, well, those that had little cameras in their bags with no camera phones back then. But he had autographs, he signed bags, he signed shirts, he signed arms and legs, and he chatted with them, and he laughed with them, and he smiled with them, and he turned around to me at one point, F, F that taxi, F the taxi. And he stayed with them until they went back in for their break, and I'll bet they remember that day, from that day to this. What a lovely fella he was. Join the conversation. This is the Opinion Line. With Hidden Hearing, changing lives with the latest hearing health technology. They're all ears. Visit hiddenhearing.ie. Coach 96 FM. Back in 2020, December 2020, of course, we were in the middle of COVID and we were headed into a second lockdown and we had huge um, limitations on who could be in the building for anything, just even day to day. So with our last show for Christmas that year, uh, my good friend Roy Buckley uh, was kind enough to go into Kitten Lane Studios and commission a special song for us. We had to have a Christmas song. We had to have you, Roy, and that's how you did it. He went to studio for us in 2020. Good morning. Hey, PJ. We've Uh, lost an absolute giant, haven't we? Absolutely. I mean, you're going to hear people speak about Shane McGowan as uh, the amazing songwriter and poet he is. His image might have been rock and roll, but he was definitely a genius songwriter. Um, um, the songs that, uh, even even the way he delivered songs, because he wrote so many great ones, but he also, the ones he covered, um, which are still associated with the Pogues, I mean... He was just brilliant, like uh, Sally McLean, the sick bit of Coo Cullen, uh, even the way he did Dirty Old Town, or the band played Waltz That's Matilda, right. That's you know, right. the Broad Majestic Shannon, the Pair of Brown Eyes, Streams of Whiskey, the Old Man Drag, you know, that's before you even talk about the fairy tale in New York, I mean, That's right. just... Which, which just he wrote for huge. a bet. Someone bet yeah. him he couldn't write a Christmas song. <laughs> <laughs> he, um, he co-wrote it, he co-wrote it with, with Jim Finer. That's right, yeah. I think it was 1987, was it? 85 he wrote it, 87 it got recorded, yeah. Yeah, Yeah. I mean, just, um, he was brilliant. Like, I mean, he's been in music his whole life as well. I know um, uh, a lot of people don't know that he was born in, in England. He was born in Kent, in, um, I think it was, what was it, 1956, 57. Mm-hmm. Um, but he grew up in Tipperary. That's his right. mum was from Tipperary, his dad was from Dublin, I believe. But, um, yeah, he was just, he was one of a kind. You, you a met kind. him at, at Ronnie Drew's funeral, didn't you? 
Yeah, that was the only time I met him, and uh, he was a gent. Um, I heard one of your previous guests speaking about how um, he he would in person he, he wasn't so slow at answering questions. Yeah, he was he was very gracious at talking about music in general, but a bit of a, a, a history about some of his own songs. And I remember him crying, um, tears in his eyes um, um, all throughout the day because of his love for Ronnie Drew. And he got up that day. Afterwards, there was um, there was a, a big kind of a session back in um, the Ritz Carlton Hotel, I think it was, in, in Enniskerry. Ronnie's funeral was in Greystones. But um, he got up and he sang a song called McCafferty that, that uh, Ronnie had sang, you know, just to pay a tribute to Ronnie his own way. Um, but yeah, he, he was amazing. My favourite song of uh, of his is um, Rainy Night in Soho. Oh, which I'm going to and play in a minute, yeah. Just, I mean, of all lyrics, um, you know, when 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 it says, uh, um, "Oh, I'm not singing for the future, and I'm not dreaming of the past. I'm not talking of the first time. I never think about the last." That's definitely poetry, you yeah. know. Yeah. Just, uh, he was he was just one of a kind. I mean, and everyone loved him all all walks of life. I mean. The president, uh, Michael D. Higgins, doesn't turn up to your 60th birthday to give you a lifetime achievement award unless you're you're a legend, you know. That's right. He also had um, he also had a knife or a velo, um, award. I think in 2018 for um, uh, you know, for songwriting and, and composing as well. So, mm. I mean, he ticked an awful lot of boxes in his in his life. Um, his exterior might have been um come across as rough or party animal but anyone whoever spoke about him always spoke about how, how kind he was you know yeah. kind and funny and gentle and very gentle and that's a, so gentle I remember when that morning outside the 96 frame here the kids came over from school where you know he would time for every single one of them he just smiled for every single one of them but all the time he was 100% appropriate a pure gentleman and they just wanted his yeah, autograph, you know. Sure. Lovely, lovely fella. And so funny. Uh, cancel that effort, I mean, taxi. <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, the Irish uh, music industry has been given an awful blow again. Um, Shane McGowan this time. But, like, also, uh, Christy Dignam and Shane yeah. O'Connor earlier yeah. in the year. It's, uh, you know, it's a, it's another one, another shock to the to the Irish music industry this, this, this week again, you know. I know. It's been a difficult old year. But for yourself, Roy, briefly, my congratulations, my friend. I haven't seen you in a while. But now, to, ladies and gentlemen, this young man is now touring. Having won Teen Idol years ago, this young man <laughs> is now touring the States with the Dublin City Ramblers. I mean, give us a break, Roy. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> enjoying it immensely. Um, All right, teacher, you know, enjoying it immensely. All right, my friend. We'll see you soon. Take care. The great Roy Buckley. And catch him around town. He's still gigging around town, but uh, touring, touring the world almost now with the Dublin City Ramblers. 0818969696 touring the streets of Cork as a postman and still writing his own music is of course uh, Miles Gaffney Miles good morning to you Boy, PJ how's things boy good 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 you you um you were friendly with 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 um which you 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 met him didn't you a few times no i actually never met did you him never meet him no no um but you knew Paul Hill I, who knew no, him? I knew, I know, I know Paddy Hill in the Birmingham. I got you, okay, right. Paddy, uh, my son Paddy, are good old friends, and um, I suppose when I first met Paddy, staying in his house and whatever, we'd be having chats, and um, 
he referred to Shea McGowan as McGowan, right? And if when he used to be speaking at the start, he'd be he be ruminating about um, his time in prison for the for the Birmingham bombings, you know, which he didn't do. Yeah, and um, he would talk about McGowan. See, so then the penny dropped to what he was talking about. So basically, you know, um, he was very good to Paddy, and as Jerry Adams said, he understood the whole um, the whole underdog issue and the whole. You know, a bit of appease, appeasing to the Irish cause and the Irish situation. And with Paddy, he financially backed Paddy, but with morale and his legal cases and put on gigs where, mm-hmm. and I suppose at a time in England like that, for a band such as the Pogues with Irish roots and stuff, that was a big risk to take, I suppose, for the band and him as for his reputation, you know, what, what was actually going on in mainland Britain at the time. But he, um, but between the Guildford Four and the Birmingham Six, Paddy told me from the horse's mouth that like he was pivotal in, in morale and keep the fight going for yeah. for the release. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, and I, I, I confused the two, Paddy and Paul, because I met Paul a couple of times after the the Guildford Four were were, were released. Um, but but Shane and Jerry Adams said it well ago. Shane had a deep understanding of all the history and all the layers of all the history. Yeah, I mean it's, it, it prevails in the lyrical content of his songs. Um, you know, uh, thousands of sailing, right? It's a masterpiece of the song, song, right? I mean, the island has a side of oh, and the ghosts that haunt the waves, the torch lays up the famine, spread of fortune, couldn't save. You know, it's just, it's just like, even the fairy tale in New York, for the human mind, you know, and the understanding of Ireland, and they have cars big as bars, and they've got rivers of gold. I mean, yeah. if you're stuck in an old cottage with a horse or a donkey and a cart up or a rural west of Ireland, yeah. That's your dream, like, and he created that through very few. He was able to create this whole image in the human mind of a song, and in such short words. Yeah, you can see it. But covers so much bars, ground. Bit, yeah, yeah. You know, and again, and in, in, in his songwriting, um, you know, you'd have to look at um, like who is he singing about? Um, like, if you're in New York again. I could have been someone. You, who's the you? He leaves it up to the, to the listener and to the human to make up your own mind of, mm. make up your own interpretation of his music. You know, of his of his lyrics. Like, and I thought that was the beauty of a lot of, of Shane McGowan's writings. You know, mm-hmm. yes, everyone interpret that, that that particular line. I could have been someone. Well, so could anyone. It's kind of saying, well, who do you think you are? Kind of thing. Do you know? Yeah, I could, I, I could too. But look where we are. We've ended up in this place. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. I'm right as a songwriter myself, and like, I I always listen to to, to the Pogues since I was a child, you know. And you, you you touched on it well ago, right? This this sound they created, the mixture of his Irish traditional roots. And I read it in a book one time that he used to sit around the fire, you know, mm. where the old when the, the old bards and the old with his uncles and his his relatives in Tipperary, and that's where the whole. Irishness was bred into him. That's right. And then you had him growing up in England, I suppose, as you mentioned with Johnny Rotten and the Sex Pistols and that whole punk scene that was going on in England at the time. And he he was able to create that unique Pogue song. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think there's a group called the Mary Wallopers. They're they're kind of touching on it now. Mary Wallopers. I've heard of them. Yeah. It was the Pogues created that yeah. that mixture of you know whistles and. Drums and electric guitars and pipes and you know it's it's a crazy song really. I mean, yeah, you said it would go Sally McLennan. The Dropkick Murphys are another great band, and I always think a kind of a uh, an American Pogues, if you like. 
Yeah, and that that all came from Shane McGowan's um, yeah. from his ability and his musical genius, let's say. But I mean, I've, as as far as I'm concerned, I think that um, thousands are sailing. I mean, the whole melodic um, change of the song and yeah. the, the way it goes, it brings you through a whole musical journey along with the lyrical content of the song. You know, it's just. Will, it's did, will you be throwing a few songs in at Sea Church this weekend? Yeah, when I'm playing the sea church tonight, my dad rang me yesterday. Uh, he said, "Do you hear the news?" He he said, "Do you hear the news?" He said, um, "Shane McGowan has passed." And I said, "Yeah." He said, "Surely." He says, "You'll play a tribute." And I said, "Of course I will." But would you believe it? There's a young fella on before me tonight, right? And his name is Andrew Fletcher, fine upcoming Irish folk artist. He is young fella from down around uh, East Corkdale. Oh, I think I met. He I think knew- I heard of him. He's from Clyde, he- isn't he? Yeah. He knew McGowan, would you believe it or not? He's only a young fella. He knew him. He knew Shane McGowan, he did. He, he, uh, he, met, he met him a few times, yeah, and he's on, he's on before me, you know, this evening. All right. well, but, good, um, good luck with that. Good, good luck with that. We'll sing plenty of... Um, we'll, uh, and we'll sing plenty of these songs, I'm sure, as well. But, um, yeah, so, look, I mean, it's a, it's a big loss. It's a, we're, we're under pressure uh, as, as a society in Ireland of our culture and our heritage and uh, our songs. Uh, it seems to be a dying trade that the Irish, you know, the whole folk stories and stuff. And uh, you know, people like Shane McGowan have left us with gems, and it's up to the generation now to keep it alive and keep writing the songs of Ireland. You know. Yeah. Well, when they're been so well written and so beautifully crafted, I don't think the songs will die anytime soon. Miles Gaffney, thank you very much. Good luck tonight in the Sea Church. The Cork Diary. On Cork's 96FM. Ballygarvan Camogie Club's annual bazaar takes place on Sunday, the 10th of December in Ballygarvan National School at 2pm. With a visit from Santa on the day and plenty of prizes to be won, it promises to be a great family day out. If you have an event you would like mentioned, email the details to corkdiary at 96fm.ie. Here's a man... I haven't spoken to in too many years. Sean O'Neill, once indelibly linked with Sir Henry's and, of course, played support to the Pogues at a couple of gigs um, with the great band, the great Cork band, Burning Embers. Sean, it's been too long, my friend. Good morning. PJ Coogan, how are you? I'm all right, boy. I'm all right. What was Shane McGowan like to work with? Um, oh, iconic, um, kind of quiet in 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 off stage, but when he got on stage, oh my 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 word, what a persona! Like just that's fantastic. Yeah, Burning really, Embers really played. You played support to him a couple of times. Yeah, we did two gigs in Dublin in uh, December '96, the 19th in the Olympic Ballroom, and the 20th in the SFX Centre mm-hmm. in uh, the north side of Dublin. It was uh, riotous, yeah. <laughs> really fun. Remember reading yeah. a thing in Hot Press magazine about one of those gigs. He reportedly played with a broken nose because he'd walked straight into the wall during the rehearsals. Yeah, that was that was that was, that was the second, the first gig. Yeah. Well, yeah. that's a true story. Yeah, yeah. I don't think he broke it, but it was it was injured. <laughs> yeah, he'd been he'd been knee deep in a bottle of brandy during the sound right, the sound check, which of course was typical Shane like. Typical chain. It was actually Red Ruby Port, actually. <laughs> you see, get the detail, get the details. The de- and how, yeah. did, how did you get the gig, Sean? Um, I I think it's a long time ago. I, I'm, as far as I know, Dennis Hurley. He, um, ah, Dennis. Uh, Dennis, yeah, Dennis Hurley was our sound engineer, 
Mm. And he knew Frank Murray, who was the manager of the Pogues, because he had managed other bands, and Dennis knew, and somehow Dennis wangled us onto the, onto yeah. the gig, and it was just us and the Pogues. Because they'd played was, in Henry's in the very early days, hadn't they? They did, yeah. I was in London for that gig. Uh, I didn't see it. Um, my sister was at it. She was glass collecting in the... Sir Henry's half time. <laughs> and my sister Eileen. Is, is there anybody who didn't last collect at Sir Henry's at some stage? I, I, I don't think so. I don't <laughs> think so. <laughs> what, what happened to Burning Embers, Sean? Um, um, we, 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 we burnt out. Faded <laughs> <Stayed laughs> away. Yeah, no, it was. And your memories of your, your personal memories of Shane, obviously, I haven't worked with him. You have a personal memory of him. Uh, personal memories. He was a really qu- quiet, engaging guy. Yeah. Um, kind of during the day, like, in, in the sound checks, they were all kind of really kind of very professional. Yeah. I'm not saying they weren't professional on stage, but when they got on stage, it was, it was mayhem. Like, yeah. it was organised chaos. It was just fantastic. Like, I mean, you knew, we, well, we knew all about the pokes then, but you, you're looking at him and it's going... Mm. Crazy. Yeah. The, the the brain, I think, what, what people didn't get about him from the image, Sean, I think you'll agree with me here, was when he got on stage and took a microphone in his hand, the brain took control, the musical brain. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. And he was, he was as everyone says and knows, he was an incredible musician. Like, his piano uh, work was fabulous. Even though he didn't play on stage, mm. he, he played piano and he was just... Brilliant, like just all so good at chord structures and like he really, he really was a keeper of the flame as well for for Irish music at the time, you know, like 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 Phil Innes himself as well, mm-hmm. you know, wasn't hugely popular as it used to be, and it it just took off. Yeah, 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 and and left us such an enormous legacy of music. I was only poking through my old Pogues collections. Last night, Sean, and the stuff I used to play when I was gigging in the Grand Prado. Yeah. I, I finished. Yeah, I, I finished many a student gig with Noel Hill. Do you remember Noel Hill? They did this. Yeah, I do. Yeah, he used to finish many a student gig, and the great Dermot Brady would pull in a little bit of his hair he'd left because it was breaking up the dance oh. floor. <laughs> yeah, very little left. <laughs> yeah, Sean, great to catch up after all these years, and uh, I hope you're doing well, my friend. Sean O'Neill of the great Cork band of the 80s and 90s, Burning Embers. They played support to the Pogues in a couple of gigs in Dublin. The Pogues at the height of their powers, and he remembers uh, Shane McGowan. Join the conversation. This is the Opinion Live. With Hidden Hearing, changing lives with the latest hearing health technology. They're all ears. Visit hiddenhearing.ie. Cork's 96 FM. Oldies and Irish on Cork's 96FM is the big Sunday show on your radio. Turn it up and take it easy with the best music mix for your Sunday morning. Welcome along to the programme. Lovely to be with you on a Sunday morning. Oldies and Irish with Derry O'Callaghan. Sundays, 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. With Cork Simon. Anne wants to give everyone the home that Cork gave her. She's leaving a gift in her will to Cork Simon. Find out more at CorkSimon.ie. Cork's 96 FM. The minds are live. Hello. Join the conversation.
Via the password before the 10 o'clock news there. Your password today for the Cork 96FM 10K toy giveaway is Snowman. Uh, we'll play another round of the game after 11 o'clock. Snowman. Write it down and keep it safe. Did you see this thing? Uh, little. You know what? I'm going to hold on to it until next week because we'll, we'll have fun with this next week. It's in the news today. Just keep an eye out for it. Continuing to remember... The great uh, Shane Rogowan. Mick Woods reminds me that I should not forget that last May, when he was playing at the RDS, he played, was it, three sold-out gigs at the RDS last May. Uh, A certain Mr. Bruce Springsteen went to visit Shane Rogowan at home to give him his best regards and pay his respects. That is some accolade. And as Mick said speaks volumes and Springsteen spoke about um, Shane McGowan and spoke about him as one of the greatest songwriters that has ever lived and that coming from a man with the repertoire and the legacy of Bruce Springsteen I have, and you know what when he comes back to Ireland now in May you'd wonder will there be a, a mention of Shane from the stage maybe at Parque Cueve we look forward to that Thanks, Mick. Uh, Shane used to sing a few duets in the Ive Leary every morning, early morning house on Coburg Street on a Friday in the 80s with me. But you don't say who me is. Who was that? Shane, look, we had the early houses and I remember the the Ive Leary down in Coburg Street Friday morning. Shane could be found there, curing himself, no doubt. And he would do a few duets. Who? Who's me that sent that in? Thank you. Very sad to hear about Shane McGowan. I have very happy memories through his songs. Three songs especially. We lost a good friend, Stephen, 15 years ago. His songs were A Pair of Brown Eyes. What a song. And A Rainy Night in Soho. And we won a few pound over the years on the horse Pair of Brown Eyes. Me and the brother and a few friends would have a cheeky bet on A Pair of Brown Eyes. A legend, Shane McGowan, R.I.P. And thank you for the best memories from his music. That was a fine song. There's another song he did with um, Sinead O'Connor. It was getting a lot of play yesterday. I went back and listened to it last night and it brought tears to my eyes. That's Haunted. They did um, a duet together. There's some fabulous video of it on YouTube and I, I, I it's gorgeous. Absolutely gorgeous. Um, now, Carol Rice, you've met probably every major musical star in Ireland but you met Shane where did you meet him? Good morning. Hey, Carol. Carol. See, can you wake her up there, lads? She's, uh, I think she put the phone down. But she met him in the Savoy, and he did Fairy Tale of New York. I'll get to that in a second. Also, I'll talk to Michelle, who met him in Boston. Michelle was there to write a news story um, when she met him in Boston. And the, the meeting didn't go according to plan, but it ended up being a whole lot better. I will play the fairy tale of New York in a while. There's a great story about that. They never actually met, and I didn't realise this until recently. Um, Shane and Kirsty never actually met 
while they were recording that song. In fact, I'm not even sure they knew each other very well while that song was being recorded, but I'll come back to it. Let's go to Michelle, writer Michelle McDonough, um, whose, whose book, by the way, whose debut novel, novel, There's Something I Have to Tell You. Michelle, Something I Have to Tell You, it's one of my top three books of the entire oh year God. of 2023. I, I loved and adored it, and I hope there's a, a new book soon. But Thank Michelle, you. you met Shane. You were sent to do a story. And you yes. and, and take it up from there in Boston. Morning. Okay, okay. Now it wasn't my finest moment, and it certainly wasn't the high point of my journalistic career. <laughs> I'll have to say that from the outset. So yes, it was McGann's pub in Boston, and it was I can't remember if it was nineteen ninety nine or two thousand around that time. Mm. I was working for the uh, the Irish Voice in Boston at the time, and I was sent to cover a gig with Shane, and I think he was the Pope's at the time, not the Pope's. Mm. From it's all a bit vague. So uh was sent to cover the gig, well, to do an interview with him before the gig, but he didn't turn up because uh, they just basically just about got him to the gig. He was late and got him on stage and he performed. Now, he did have, I can remember, he had IRA written across his forehead in black marker. And um, so I thought the gig was, or the interview was not going to happen and it proceeded to get absolutely hammered. The bar was jammed <laughs> so we were drinking pints of uh, vodka and Red Bull because it was just e- double vodka and Red Bull because rather than having to queue up, you know, we just we said right, we'd buy in bulk and um, mm. young Irish people enjoying the gig. Now I knew nothing really about apart from Fairy Tale of New York. I wasn't a fan. Uh, I was into dance music at the time but it was just amazing. It was an electric gig even mm-hmm. though he was hammered as well so anyway that was grand and coming towards the end of the gig I was with um, one of the guys from the Irish Voice who had been in contact with Shane's manager to set up the the interview and he said okay the interview is going ahead and I was like oh okay Um, (laughs) now I was really really well on it at this point so I just remember we were in a back kitchen in McGann's I was sitting on some kind of a dishwasher Shane was sitting on some other, I don't know, a counter or countertop or something. There was, there was an, a reporter from the Boston Globe and Shane's manager and a few other people. And I have absolutely no idea of the questions that I asked him. I know he was, there was a bit of a rant about uh, Sinead O'Connor. They'd fallen out at the time. It was around the time she reported him to the, the cops in London for heroin possession. She was trying to help him. And I say, I read a very funny line yesterday in an interview where he later said that uh, they made friends again mm. and he later thanked him, thanked her for, yeah. for saving they, his they life. They adored each other. It's in her book. They, they adored each other. They did. Yeah. They did. They did. But, and, and he thanked her for saving his life but, but made a point of saying, but I don't recommend that you rat out your friends to the cops. <laughs> so that was, you know, just his typical personality. But anyway, whatever happened, I ended up somehow lying flat on the floor on my back. No oh, idea yeah. how this was. This was, this was a mid-interview. Um, uh, the memory, the rest of the night is very hazy, but that memory of lying on the floor is seared into my brain with shame. Looking up, Shane McGowan didn't have his teeth done at the time, and he had this, it's this inimitable laugh. You'd hear it in interviews where it's like, it's kind of a, a bit of a hiss, and there's a, there's a chuckle that comes from the back of his throat. Mm. And he was bursting his arse, laughing at me. Um, and But he did, he, he was a gentleman, he did lend, lend a hand to, to help me up off the floor. And um, he, I, I, I remember being surprised that his accent was so, he's such a London accent, because I thought 
he was Irish. I didn't. I knew so little about him, and he, he sounded Irish when he sang. Mm. So anyway, he. I told him we were having a housewarming party that night out in Brighton, in our Irish party house, and he was all on to come out to the party. But his manager <laughs> put a stop to that just as well, because that descended into chaos and ended up with the the Boston PD making an appearance and everything. Um, but At your house party. Day, at the house party, yeah, there was a there was a hurley, uh, a door. The lads from upstairs came down, and I think they weren't invited to the party or something. And they decided they were going to come in anyway. And the hurley was used to to try and gain entrance, but it was just a mad Irish party house. Luckily, we didn't have Shane there in the middle of it all. Oh, but the next day, when I went to look at my notes, I couldn't. It was just <laughs> scribble. There was there was a footprint from somewhere um, on the page. But didn't the reporter in the Boston Globe write, um, I'd love to have a copy of it. Now, I can't even find a copy of my article that I wrote. Um, but he wrote about uh, Shane McGowan having the crowd in his hand and one young woman literally falling at his feet. So he kind of made out that it was some kind of, a, you know, a starstruck swoon mm-hmm. where really I was probably drunker than Shane was. <laughs> and I mean, neither of us were doing, <laughs> were doing much favours typical drunken Irish stereotype. Um, so I couldn't write my interview with Shane McGowan. You couldn't write your it. name at that stage. Yeah, yeah. Well, the next day I couldn't read my notes and I don't think there was anything coherent on the page. So I ended up stretching about, I think it was about a thousand words at the time of an in, of a story about how I met Shane McGowan and ended up drunker than him and made a total fool of myself and fell at his feet and they printed it, <laughs> but I can't find it now. Where is the quiet demure, self-effacing newspaper journalist that I worked the press with around town, Michelle. What happened to her? Well, you see, they were they were my wild days. They were my wild days, PJ. I can't I get I, I get a hangover and two glasses of rose now. But yeah, they were they were my wild days. Great memories, great memories. Yeah, Any yeah. new well, book he, coming? he was he was he was fantastic. Like, you know, the charisma that he had and the warmth yeah. and just you couldn't not take to him. I just, you know, from from that night, then I I, I began to follow him in his music and and all of that. But he was he was amazing. He was fantastic, and like that, he was yeah. lovable, very very lovable. Yeah, some. yeah. Any book coming? Yeah. Any new book coming? Uh, I do next March. Uh, I think the name it still it hasn't been confirmed, but it's going to be something knows. I think. Okay. All right. um, yeah, it was going to be somebody out there knows something. Oh, <laughs> brilliant. Really. Well, 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 too, too long. Yeah. I meant what I said. Uh, Michelle McDonough, if you want looking for a book for a Christmas stocking for somebody, you want to buy somebody an Irish book, uh, a book by an Irish female author, pick that up. It's the debut book. came out this year by Michelle McDonough. Oh, pal of mine. Uh, something I Have to Tell You is the name of the book. It's a wonderful read. You get it in any good bookshop. Thanks, <laughs> Michelle. What a memory. <laughs> Brilliant. Ah, we ah, ah it's Carol there. I will I go to Carol first, I will. Carol, you met him at the Savoy. I did, TJ. Um I did. It was it was just one of these magical memories that I thought would never happen. Mm. So um they were down in Cork, it was a little woman's Christmas um one year. So um I happened to be good friends with Sharon Shannon and she was playing with them at the time. Yes. So there was him Monday. Um, he had Spider with him, um, a lovely singer called Tanya McCall, and there was just a whole gang of them. So Sharon invited me along to the gig, and she knew, like, I love the song Fairy Tale of New York. So to hear it sing live, oh, I get chills on my neck every time I think of it. I was just absolutely blown away. 
So I was backstage with Sharon and she knew like I was like starstruck. So she said to me, come with her. And she brought me down to his changing room and I went in there and I was like in awe. I was starstruck um, because my brother, my eldest brother was a big fan of the Pope. So I'd always listen to their music growing up. So anyway, she asked, could we come in? And he came in and, you know, um, he just hugged me. He gave me this gigantic hug. And um, we had a few words and I was like, like, I'm never short for words, but I was speechless and I was shaking so much talking to him. But he was just so sincere and mm-hmm. genuine and made you feel so comfortable, you know. Mm-hmm. So um, I had to laugh because sometimes when I meet people like that, especially the men, they try to, you know, for the photograph, they normally sit you on their knees. But I'm not as lightweight as he thought I was. So... He went, he put me up on his knee, but we all just laughed because, uh, yeah, I'm way heavier than people think. <laughs> so we just had a good giggle about that, like, and his his whistle player spider was just slagging me, and I was just mortified, but so it was so funny. And it was just, like, such a precious moment for me that I talk about it every year. Do you still and have the picture? Ended. What? Do you have the picture? Yeah, we had the picture, and we took the photographs, and... Um, yeah, and I had recorded him singing um, Fairy Tale in New York Live, so I put it up every Christmas. And it's one of these priceless memories that you cherish forever. So to hear his passing yesterday, I felt like it was a knife in my heart, you know, because he's such an iconic legend. And when you're in his presence, you felt in the presence of greatness. I have it there now in front of me. That's a fantastic photo, Carol. That's a gorgeous photo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it'll become even more precious to me now. It will. It will. Listen, great to talk to you, my friend. And I've been playing fairy tale in a few minutes, so I think I think listeners will forgive me if I dedicate it to my pal Carol. We know who it was doing the duets on a Friday morning. Frank, explain yourself. Morning. <laughs> morning, morning, PJ. How are you? All right. I knew you were right. in music, of course, and I didn't know you did early morning sessions with Shane McGowan. Tell me more. Well, it, it wasn't quite like that. I mean, we weren't booked together mm. nor anything like that, you know, through Noel Magner or anything like that. Yeah. But I was working nights um, in McCartan Street in the taxi base in McCartan Street. Yeah. And sure, you finish your nights kind of on Friday morning and you'll be off for the weekend. So you finish at maybe half six, seven o'clock. Mm. And so we, Friday morning, we'd all go down to Derry in the Ivy Larry in Corbo Street. Yeah. And sure, he was open at seven, well, officially seven, but he'd often be, oh, he'd forget to go the night before, like, but, uh, <laughs> so, half in there, six or seven of us, half in there anyway, for our early morning coffee, of course, I can see. Of course. And, uh, sure, who was sitting there? Shane and Victoria. <sighs> and this, this was, I, well, I'm almost certain it was. This was just 89, I think. Okay. And uh, sure, we were there, and I'm sure, I mean, obviously we were star- starstruck, but I mean, the chat started, and just so down to work, he was like, he swear he was there all week with us, and next, out from behind the bar, Derry pulled out a guitar, because he knew I played, yeah. and he threw it over anyway, so... The session got going, and she says, I'm honoured to say, I done fairy tale, I done Soho, and Walter Matilda. Ah, uh, Frank. With Shane. And, uh, In the days before think, video, huh? 
Oh, yeah, the day before, the days before. I mean, you could imagine it today now with a, a, an iPhone, like, but um, I think I asked until around midday, and sure, Shane was only getting his second breath at that stage, and <laughs> so we we were carted home by our own taxis, obviously, like. But you know something? One of the most down-to-earth, genuine... You know, the best tribute I can say now is that he was Brendan Bean, Sinead O'Connor, Johnny Rotten, and Sid, Sid Vicious, all in one. All rolled into one, and as gentle as a kitten. Absolutely, absolutely. And I, I, just on another point, I don't think any of us put our hands in our pockets the whole morning. Yeah. Though there's a great yeah. story told about a pub in London um, where he was known as a young fella. And when he was starting out in the music business, you love this, Frank, he used to go into this pub. And when Fairy Tale of New York was finally finished and released, he went in. And about 10 or 11 o'clock at night, the barman said, all right, now you've had enough. Go on, good luck, get out of here. And, 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 and Get out of here, go on, good luck. And a week later, Fairy Tale of New York was in the top five. And Shane came in with the band and into the pub and says, I've been coming in here since I would nothing. A pint for the whole house. Yeah, yeah. Except that, that for be... that bugger over there. <laughs> <laughs> but that would be... No, PJ, am I right to say it? Very attend, New York didn't actually go to number one then. It didn't. Not yet. I think, I think it went to this. number... T- I think it went number two or three or something. It was, it was kept off the number one spot by the Pet Shop Boys. Is that what it was? It was. The Pet Shop and Boys covered Willie Nelson's song Always On My Mind. And they well, had the oh, Christmas I remember, time I remember That's Yeah, it. I remember me dad telling me about that, all right. Yeah. That's right. But, um, but, um, Go away, you, you know, messer. Go away, you isn't messer. It, isn't it great that he lived to see the woke brigade try to ruin his song? Let's not even go there. Let's go not on. even go, go there. On. And they and, 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 and they never and they never did. Frank, well, okay. tre- memories to treasure, my friend. Memories to Thanks treasure. Thanks a lot, PJ. Take Hello. care, fella. Oh eight one eight ninety six ninety six ninety six. It was a song that they started writing in nineteen eighty five. There was a bet. This is the story. His manager, the manager bet them that he couldn't write a Christmas song. And he says, Right, let me add it. And he got together with a fellow called Jem Finer, and they wrote Fairy Tale of New York. Originally, he recorded the whole thing himself, and that didn't quite suit. But Steve Lillywhite, who was the producer of the song at the time, was married to Kirsty McCall, took the song home into their home studio, and she sang the lyric, the entire lyric. From a woman's point of view. And they brought the tape into the recording studio. And Shane loved what she'd done with it. So he recorded the duet over her tape of the lyrics. They never actually met while they were recording the song. And it never went to number one for Christmas. Until I have a sneaking suspicion it will now. But since it's been released, how's this here, right? Released... In 1987. And pretty much every year since, it has earned £500,000 sterling in royalties for Shane. And indeed, of course, for for Kirsty's estate as well, because she died tragically in a boating accident a few years later. This is dedicated to my young friend Carol and to all of the Pogues fans around Cork who remember ever meeting that wonderful man that we have just lost.
Shane McGowan, Kirsty McCall, Fairy Tale of New York. Rest in peace, you crazy diamond. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Lots more stuff coming in about Shane McGowan, and I will come back to it. A lot of love out there for the guy. Just love Love everybody loved him, um, and you were his company. He was so ordinary and so so special. Yeah, three hundred <coughs> three hundred and thirty eight million times. Well, three hundred and thirty eight and a quarter million times actually. Uh, Fairy Tale of New York has been streamed on Spotify. I imagine that will go up a few more times between now and Christmas, when I expect it will be for the at very long last the Christmas number one. Uh, we'll come back to Shane. A lot of talk about Shane, of course, surrounds drink. But one thing you'll always hear is, yes, there was a lot of drink around there. But he was appropriate, to say the very, very least. Always appropriate. Always a gentleman. Always funny and charming. He never tried anything on. He never spiked anybody's drink. And that's how I move on to... Just our next topic of conversation, which we need to take very, very seriously with just a few weeks now to Christmas and heading into party season. Mike, good morning to you. Uh, good morning, PJ. You're working in security, so you get to see everything, fella. we got a problem uh, with spiking. I suppose, first of all, I'm speaking, first of all, as a father of a daughter myself and uh, been in the industry for quite a long time, worked in many different areas, different sectors of the industry. Uh, but what seems to be happening at the moment because I have a lot of friends across the county uh, in this in, the, in this industry and uh, drink spiking seems to be becoming more prevalent and we're coming into pee time now as you say and with pubs and clubs are going to be packed a lot of people moving around and you know, you've got opportunists who have only obviously got one motive when they behave like this it's a, it's a horrible thing to do to any young woman and uh, we need to make people more aware of the dangers. We need to make parents more aware of the dangers. And we need to make schools more aware of the dangers of what can happen so easily. There's an awful sense out there, isn't there? Ash, that'll never happen to me. Yeah. Well, it unfortunately, it has happened to a lot of people that we don't hear about. And uh, we just need to make people aware of it, the dangers of it. I mean, what a lot of we see happening now today, a lot of young boys and girls go around in groups, which is fantastic. 
So they all have a responsibility to each other, which is vital. And the most important thing is that the young girls don't get isolated when they're out. Mm. You know, stay in your group, do the simple things, uh, you know. And if there is an issue, always report it. Because a lot of this stuff doesn't go, rep- be, it's unreported to the guards. You know, we need to report everything like this that happened because, you know, these things, these guys don't stop. Mm. Uh, they may not get a hit on the first night, they come back maybe two weeks later, this is what they do. Mm-hmm. And uh, they are sophisticated. So, it's it's not oh, absolutely. It's, it's not like the old-fashioned thing that they lift up your glass and throw no, something no. into it. It's yeah. very sophisticated. It is. It is. It is. It is. But I'd say it's a nasty thing to do to anybody because there's only one agenda behind it, and uh, young women need to be protected at all costs. Mm-hmm. So I mean, uh, education and awareness is vital here because a lot of clubs will have security. A lot of pubs don't have security on the doors. Uh, so these guys probably think they have a free hand coming in and um, you know people need to stick to their groups and uh, stay safe yeah your network your door network which is a lot yes. more sophisticated than it was in my yes. clubbing days yes. they're yes. all in contact up and down the city now and if someone is yes. causing trouble yes. Yes. everyone can brilliant. know everybody yeah. can know but what, what are you hearing on the network at night now uh, there's just a lot it seems becoming more prevalent now spiking yeah. it's on the increase I mean it's been a problem for years as we all know uh, but it seems to be uh, prev- more prevalent now right across the county mm-hmm. in big towns, yeah, which would never have been a problem in the past. Yeah. So it is a growing problem, it is, and we need, to, we need to contract it. And if someone should happen to spot that their friend is in trouble, or if yeah. someone is in a club, and look, they won't remember it, but let's tell him anyway. If someone's in a club, Mike, and they feel off, what should they do? Uh, well, you know... Go to the security or go to the management or, or go to your friends because I am well aware it's happened on a few occasions and friends have stepped in and taken the, the girl away, called her parents, taken them away, went to the guard even on a number of occasions as well. So, I mean, the action, these are the things you need to do. Mm-hmm. But I said, try not get isolated. Don't leave a drink unattended. Uh, that's another thing. Mm. People go off to the toilet, go out for a cigarette, leave the drink unattended. These are the things that these opportunists are looking at. Yeah. And it's very difficult to stop it. It's very difficult to even detect it. Even in a packed nightclub, uh, you go back through the videos, the cameras, there's no guarantee you're going to be able to source the you know, the problem. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. So, like it is, just don't get isolated uh, yeah. and stay with your friends at all costs. Yeah. And it has happened in a number of areas, I'm aware of it. And fortunately for the girls, their friends were able to take take up the mantle and look after them. Yeah. Are, are lads ever targeted, Mike? Yeah, lads can be targeted as well as it happened. Not as much, obviously, but it happened on a few occasions. Yeah, and lads have been targeted as well. Mm-hmm. And you only have, I don't know, they use various different lotions and potions to do it, but you have a very narrow window before you're incapable. From the time you realise, I don't feel quite 100% yes. here, you have a very narrow window, don't you? Absolutely. Things start happening pretty quickly. Uh, but like... Fortunately, in a number of towns, I know that people have been okay because their friends came to the rescue on a number of occasions, but that may not always happen. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, just to keep in your grooves, stay together, vital, and don't leave a drink unattended. Yeah. And if you even think someone's been got at, call security. Absolutely. And to go to the manager, the bar staff, definitely. All right. Mike, listen, you have a good a good season. Uh, you'll yeah. be busy over the festive season. Take care of yourself, and uh, thanks for what you do, guys. Uh, our, our security staff on the door protecting us night after night. Now, Mary Cray, we've talked about uh, spiking uh, many times over the years. This next couple of weeks, I imagine you'll have people coming into the Sexual Violence Centre who have been 
spiked. And the sad part is that when it's all over, they're not really believed, are they? Good morning. And that's the whole thing, and, and good morning. And that's why I want to say thank you to Mike for kind of highlighting it, because we need security and we need venues to kind of say it is happening instead of ducking and kind of saying not in my bar where it's happening everywhere. But we have taken a step further now, um, you know, in our spiking campaign, because you know what the campaigns we do, we try and, you know, come to an end with it and see what we can do, how we can make it different. I know, say, for example, um, the year before last or last year, the UCC Students Union with the society's balls that they have said they did a lot of um, complaints about spiking. And then they asked for posters that we have. Now, the posters don't say, mind your drink or dip something into your drink. It's really about don't spike and mm-hmm. plastered all over the place. So the venue itself, the hotel itself that the event was on, had no reporting of spiking. They had no reporting of spiking. And the only difference was, is like what Mike said, it was awareness raising. It was like people watching and kind of saying, oh my God, that's something we're not aware of. But when it was clearly kind of said, we're watching you, don't spike, it did make a difference. Now, at the stage where in, we're in negotiations with a few different um, hospitals and other places about getting um, people tested, because if somebody is spiked, in Ireland or in Cork, there's nowhere to test them. Mm-hmm. And there was an amazing woman, Michelle Frost, in the UK, who unfortunately was spiked, which worked in the lab. She tested herself. Bottom line is she has come up with these test kits that in every venue near where she lives, every pub, a huge big area, the test kits are there if people want to get checked. But what she said is changing and she even gave a speech to the Home Office because in that area spiking has been hugely reduced because people know they're being watched. And that's what we need to do, change it in that kind of way. And I know, like, for example, Benny McCabe with his 10 pubs really wants to come on board with us and pilot this mm-hmm. and make changes in Cork. So that's kind of where we're at with the, with the spiking. And I agree with Mike, it is for a sexual assault, but there's also a huge number of guys going around who think it's a great laugh. Yeah, they've no intention of assaulting somebody but this is hilarious let's see how she reacts or how a poor young guy at the bar maybe who doesn't feel capable of being a socialist now or isn't part of the clique the kind of hard men let's do it to him there's mm-hmm. a group kind of doing that and there's a group you know we talked before about the injection where they were um, puncturing somebody I don't believe they spike with an injection it's too hard to get everything in but they puncture them just for the laugh and think this is hilarious yeah yeah it's all very very horrible really you know, Mary, and the, the thing about the spiking, and Mike was saying there, even with CCTV now and all of that, it's so subtle. It's so subtle, and it could be drink. You know, it could be somebody kind of bringing down extra drink to you, and it's always somebody around your table. Mm-hmm. You know, and I, you know, I agree what he says about you know mind your drink. But often, you know, girls have said to us that they did watch the drink and they tried to do something because there was people around the table who were friends of friends and they didn't know them. And immediately it was said to them, "What's your problem? We're all friends here. Why are you covering your drink? Why are you taking your drink with you? Don't you trust us?" And then the girls or the young guys feel like I'm overreacting, mm-hmm. you know, and and kind of don't do it. So it's just turning it on its head is where we're at. What can be very dangerous, Mary, is, and look, it happens, two o'clock in the morning, the tray of shots, someone produces a tray of shots, we've all done it, right? That can be very dangerous, that's, that's a hunting ground for, for, the, for, the, for the, um, the spiker. It is. Now, I remember even um, one of the publicans kind of saying to me recently that where he used to see over the years where guys would come in around the bars, kind of keep an eye out for somebody who was vulnerable, but now they don't even do that, they wait outside. 
And, you know, as Mike said, stay together because um, a friend could think, well, she's met somebody really nice and she's gone off or she's in the toilet or she's somewhere mm. and they don't look for each other. They really have to make sure that they're going home together or that they know their friends in a taxi. They really have to um, really make sure they're mm. around because it's just a horrible feeling for a young guy or a young girl to wake up and think, where did that three hours go? What happened? Did something happen? Sure. At least... Um, Sexual assault in its own way is horrific, but at least if somebody knows what happened, they don't dread the worst. They don't dread was it one person, was it two, was it three, mm. um, and then all the guilt associated with it. I didn't watch this, I didn't watch that. Where if we turn around and said, and we're working with UCC and MTU and USI Student Union in Dublin have asked us to work on a campaign with them, so when everybody takes ownership like that mm-hmm. and really watches it. Then, then changes happen. Yeah, we're hoping to talk to UCC about that. And more people campaign. like Mike. We really need need more people like Mike who stand up and say it's happening. We really do. Yeah, we, we'll, we'll, hope, we'll hopefully talk to them either today or, or Gareth will speak to them on Monday, Mary. Um, ju- just one Brilliant. bit, and I know that, look, it, w- the correct thing to say is please don't spike anybody. And that, you know, but your advice, I think, would be, Mary, to young people, male and female, going out over the Christmas, do not let yourself be alone. Absolutely, and make sure, even if you meet somebody who you want to go off for that night, which is great, make sure your friend has got home safely. Just make sure, just for that small period, make sure he or she gets home safely. Even if they leave and they say, I'm grand, and you know they're not grand, just grab them and get them home. All right, Mary, we'll talk again, and we'll delve more into this with UCC either today or on Monday probably now with Gareth. The Sexual Violence Centre are available to you. Free phone 1-800-496-496 or sexualviolence.ie. Mary, thank you. It's that time of the week again. It's quarter to 11 on a Friday, which means ours to protect. Next. Join the conversation. This is the Opinion Line. With Hidden Hearing, changing lives with the latest hearing health technology. They're all ears. Visit hiddenhearing.ie. Corks 96 FM. The Big Drive Home. With Izzy Showbizzy. It's so good. On Corks 96 FM. Join me weekdays from 4 p.m. for more singing voice notes. Hello, would you mind playing Dermot Kennedy and kiss me the way? More chances for you to win amazing prizes. Correct! Congratulations! <laughs> Thanks, Lizzie. I can't wait. I love Curtin House. I'm delighted. <laughs> I'm laughing Curtin away. I'm like, woohoo! <laughs> I love it. Yeah. And all of the best music, too. Join me weekdays from 4 p.m. The Big Drive Home. You can drive me home. With Clonakilty Food Company, Spikeball, Tacos, Pizza. Clonakilty Black Pudding is the making of any meal. So go on, be a rebel. Cork's 96 FM. 96 FM. Hours to Protect. Brought to you by Cork's 96 FM, the IBI, and funded by Commission Naman with the television license fee. Check out hours to protect.ie for more info. This week on Earth to Protect, we hear the story of Energy Wise Ireland. The energy solutions company specialises in mechanical and electrical services. CEO Berth Sheehy set up the company with his wife Rosemary in 2009. I was very passionable about uh, renewable energy and energy savings in buildings. 
and yeah, I guess I there was we we were out after coming off the I suppose a recession essentially we're in we're in the middle of a recession. Everything had slowed down. It gave me a lot of time to you know to think about the areas I wanted to be. We weren't very busy. We I was working as an electrical contractor for a good number of years before that. Um and we were very busy and we did a lot of large contracts, but I guess uh, one thing I noticed that the, a lot of the buildings we were doing, they weren't very efficient. And, you know, there were, things weren't being done maybe as, as good as they could be, or the design or the planning wasn't as good in energy efficiency. And I, I, I did a lot of courses, I suppose, when I had a bit more time back then, then as well. And it just focused me very much on in the renewable energy side of the business. Energy Wise Ireland now employs 90 people in Cork and Kerry. This year, the company completed its renewable energy showroom in Cork. The showroom is great. We we do a number of different things. We we hold open days. We do training there, and and lots of people come in and uh, talk to I suppose our engineers inside, and they effectively want to find what's the best solution for me if it's a home or a business or you know, um, because let's say if you're if you're a self builder or you're buying a house or you're, or you're renovating a house or upgrading. Your house for, you know, for one, a one-stop shop grant or something like that. You, it's a huge decision and you want to make the right decision. So you want to come and see what do the products look like? How do they work? How will they physically fit in my home? And then I suppose when it comes down, what do they cost? What will they save me? What's the, what's the payback? You know, how am I helping the environment? So with all different types of questions, but at least when you can walk around the, the showroom, you can see all the different products on display. And it's, it, 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 it's great for a person then to be able to touch and feel these and uh, see what they'll physically look like and how, how they'll operate in their homes. Berth Sheehy says since setting up the business in 2009, there's been such a change in the industry. Back then, I guess you were effectively, um, I think we started off in the joys, we were going back to one to three people at that point in time. So to see touching nearly 100 staff is, is amazing for us. And, you know, we, we, there's no way we could have believed that back then or even thought it was, it was too far fetched because it was a different environment, different world completely, renewables and energy efficiency wasn't top of the priority. And whereas that's all changed and the whole focus has changed completely and renewables like why why would you put in an oil boiler when you can put in a, a something that can offset carbon emissions something that, if you can avoid burning fossil fuels you know you need to do that and if you're starting from scratch and you're building or doing this you you have that choice and if you're if your oil or gas boiler goes uh does very good grants you know to replace it with a heat pump there was none of that back then um, right. So it's it's kind of completely transformed uh, the industry. It's transformed us as a company as well. And uh, yeah, there's no way we could foresee this uh, growth, to be honest. EnergyWise Ireland's three objectives are to reduce carbon emissions, lower energy costs for all and safeguard Ireland's energy independence. We're all human and we're all cost conscious. That's, that's, and we can, we can say different, different things, but the most important factor for a lot of people coming in is can they afford this? Because if you, if you can't afford it, you can't do it. And they, you know, um, that's, that's a big part of it. The next most important is 
the environment and it's mad in in three or four years that the behavior change and i think it's it's accelerated more in in the last three to four years than it has for the previous five or six years ahead before that and there's a complete different mindset out there and, and people will ask you how do i offset my carbon emissions how how do i lower my carbon footprint and you know when you, when you explain to people how you know the, the how harmful and people notice you know carbon emissions are and how these gases trapped in the atmosphere are all these greenhouse gases are effectively causing our planet to heat up we, we've seen it in on our own doorsteps now look at all the flooding in all different parts of cork and essentially this is all basically coming from climate change and i think people see see that the last number of years all around the world in rtds and so the behavior change is there uh the I suppose the government and government policies change as well, and that's all feeding into same. And I think we as a country um, can be proud that we're doing the right thing. We're moving forward, even from a retrofitting point of view. Ireland has probably the most comprehensive retrofitting plan in the whole of Europe with the one-stop shop. So other countries are looking at Ireland now to see how can they copy that. I know it's early days for it, but it's at least the foresight there to move forward and, and upgrade all these houses. If you want to find out more about Energy Wise Ireland, you can check the show notes of this episode. Hours to Protect, brought to you by Cork's 96FM, the IBI, and funded by Commission Naman with the television license fee. Check out hourstoprotect.ie for more info. And ours to protect back at the same time next week. Join the conversation. This is the Opinion Line. With Hidden Hearing, focused solely on your hearing health for over 35 years. They're all ears. Visit hiddenhearing.ie. Cork's 96 FM. The lines are live. Join the conversation. Call 0818 96 96 96. Text or WhatsApp 083 396 96 96. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. This is the Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Cox 96FM. Right, we did a free panto Friday there across the news. Oh, no, you didn't. Oh, yes, we did. Oh, no. Oh, shut up. <laughs> and we have two, two winners. Uh, for free panto Friday off to the FM win with family passes for the 13th of December which is Wednesday week next Wednesday week lads Wednesday week 13th of December also a VIP reception at 6 o'clock it'll be a great evening and you get tickets for the panto at everyonecork.com but of course going to see Beauty and the Beast for free will be Elaine Cronin from Grange with her gang and Adele O'Connor would love to bring her two daughters well you can do that and get one more besides Adele uh, free Panto Friday all day today on Cork's 96FM you can join the Panto gang at the Everyman for the glamour and the gags the song and the dance the magic and the mayhem Cork's traditional Panto Beauty and the Beast opens this weekend runs until January 14th uh, prizes every hour throughout the day with our free Panto Friday. We've lots more to do this hour as well. We have to give you our Foot Solutions giveaway where we have a Foot Solutions 200 euro a gift card and we also have to do the 10k toy giveaway and I gave you the password earlier on. Will I give him the password? Will I give him the password again? I will give you the password again because it's the 1st of December and it's nearly Christmas. Three weeks today, lads. Three weeks today we'll be all finishing up for the Christmas holidays. 
<laughs> you didn't see it coming, did you? Snowman is the password today for the 10k toy giveaway. We'll play that at some point this hour. Still the love pouring in for Shane McGowan. Legends don't die, they just rest. Their memories live on. My favourite song was Fairy Tale of New York, says Olivia in Bishopstown. Hi PJ, just got a text from a buddy who was with me in the Swan in Stockwell in London when we met Shane and she's getting laughing because she's saying I was drunker than him and I was trying to copy his singing voice with Shane sitting next to me just laughing 1987 happy times says Anne they're great memories and people who met him in Killarney and people who met him in Fromoy and people who met him in all over the place because and that was a lovely story of Frank who wandered into their old local after a night on the taxis wandered into the early house in Coburg Street there he is sitting at the counter with Victoria in the 80s and remember they only married in 2018 but Shane and Victoria are together since she was just going on 17 they met at a birthday party and then she subsequently went to a gig and they were together pretty much continuously until they got married in 2018 so a long 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 relationship between the two of them but Frank told that lovely story uh, of joining in on the guitar in the early morning lovely lovely stories and there'll be more of them and there'll be loads of new newspapers over the weekends as well now we talked scams a couple of times this week they're getting more sophisticated George Hook was on at me for nearly half an hour the other day telling me about he was almost scammed he had a complaint in you'll see that you can get this on the podcasts if you wanted the he's onto his internet provider because he had a problem with his internet router and just out of luck a scammer rang him at just the right time and he nearly got swindled he 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 caught it in time he nearly got swindled out of 8000 euro Kira, you have a story to tell me. Good morning to you. Hi, how are you? Hi, what happened to you? This was with Booking.com, or you thought it was Booking.com, rather. Correct, yes. So, I've always booked with Booking.com for years, and I find them amazing. Yeah. Um, and recently, well, a few months back, I booked to go to Dubai in early next year, mm-hmm. and I chose the option to pay when, on arrival, you know, but I'd put in my car details. They had all my car details with the promise to charge me exactly when I arrived in person. Yeah. Um, and then on the app the other day, I got a message from booking.com through the app and also through my email saying that the hotel in Dubai um, wanted my credit card again so they could charge me the full price of my week's stay in, to then return it immediately. And this was apparently to prevent credit card fraud, which doesn't make sense. But considering it was from booking.com and it was in the app and I've dealt with them multiple times before, I decided that I'd go ahead with it because it said my booking was to be cancelled if I didn't do this within 12 hours and I'd have nowhere to stay. Okay. So, and it was a five-star hotel, you know, like I thought it was all reputable, so... I put in my credit card details and it asked me to wait 10 minutes to be verified. Um, After the 10 minutes, nothing happened. So me being me, I did it again, put in my number again and nothing happened. And I don't know who was watching over me. For some reason, it didn't charge my account. And later that day, I rang Booking.com and they got back to me to tell me that the hotel had never contacted me and Booking.com had never contacted me. So So how did you get a message through their app? 
I rang them. I rang their contacts yeah. number but in did the you, UK. Did you say to me, and I, 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 if I'm wrong, I'm wrong, did you say to me that you got a booking through the app or you got a message from or saying it yes, was from, through, through the, the app? app. Wow. Yeah, the app has the ability for the hotels to contact you That's directly, right. but usually it's just regarding any special requirements or whatever you have for your stay. Um, yeah, it was crazy. And ironically enough, that morning I was listening to George Hook and I was thinking to myself, geez, are people still getting scammed? Like, because, you know, we're all so aware of it nowadays. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then it happened to me a few hours later, so I feel like it was karma. Well, well there's a thing, Clara, you see, they are listening. And the more we learn about their tricks, the more tricks exactly, they devise. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, getting a bit too advanced now. So did you get yourself sorted? Yeah, luckily, I don't know how, because I put in all the credit, like the CV. See at the back the expiry date, and luckily the money didn't go through. So I've since cancelled my card and contacted my bank. So mm. thankfully, someone was watching over me. Yeah, yeah. And the hotel is there. Does it? Is it, it exists? Does it? Yes, yes. The hotel exists, and um, I'm still staying there despite not having paid yet. When are you um, going? The end of January. All right. Well, we'll hope the hotel exists. <laughs> <laughs> I think we can probably you know? take it that they do. Well, I'm sure you can Google it, you know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's a nice... Nast- that- like- <clears throat> but Booking.com knew nothing about this, no? Yeah, so the the man from Booking.com, like, to be honest, wasn't very helpful. Like, he did um, send me an email afterwards because, you know, it was a, a call to the UK. So I told him that I couldn't stay on the phone for long because I didn't want to be charged by my provider. Mm. Um he then emailed me and said that the hotel hadn't contacted him or me. And he just said, look, I'm sorry for what's happened. But like, I mean, the apology wasn't very sincere, know, you know. I know, I know. It's weird when it comes through their app and through your email. It's just so well organized and so, so sophisticated. But at least, yeah. look, you got sorted. You got sorted. You didn't get hit for any money. You've cancelled your card. You've done the right no. thing there. You've cancelled your card. Uh, so good on you. And, and when you do get away on your trip to, to Dubai, enjoy. End of January, it'll be about 30 degrees. Yes. I know. Yeah. <laughs> So it'll be nice to get away from the cold here. It's very cold at the moment. Yeah, you've never been there before, I take it. You're only, you're only young, so you've only ever been there before, no? Only young, yeah. And you think that, like, us young people, like, we're so educated with the scams and we can tell straight away, but I just wanted to text in about this one because I thought it was so sophisticated that, like, even I got caught twice. Like, I put in my card details twice. That's a good point. You're twen- 20, they tell me here. You're, you're, a, like, you're a digital native. You've grown up with a phone attached to your hand. You live <laughs> in the digital... <laughs> you live in the digital <laughs> space. You're, you're tech savvy. I try my best. You're tech savvy, yeah. and yet here you got caught. Yeah, or nearly got caught. Yeah, exactly. So yeah. people just need to be aware, like, any links or any messages from an unknown number, just don't click anything at all, even if you think that your booking is going to be cancelled like me, maybe ring up the hotel and be smarter than I was. Mm, fair enough. All right, listen, good good talking to you, Clara, and enjoy your trip to sunny Dubai when it comes about at the end of January. Another one, and, and there's a thing, like, that's... Everybody uses Booking.com. I use Booking.com. Gone away this weekend with the family, and we've used uh, Booking.com, and I've used them hundreds of times. Uh, I find them brilliant and very helpful and great and all that. This insidious way of getting in, so it looks like it's Booking.com. Thanks, Tara. Join the conversation. This is the Opinion Line. With Hidden Hearing, changing lives with the latest hearing health technology. They're all ears. Visit hiddenhearing.ie. Coach 96 FM.
Welcome. Now, we love catching up, as you know. We love catching up, particularly on a Friday, but any day of the week, with Cork people around the world who are doing their own thing in other parts of the world and a lot of them in places where the weather is a hell of a lot better than it is here. Earlier in the week, I was chatting to, to Gina, uh, who runs wine and tapas and food tours and history tours in Estepona and Marbella. And they live a lonely life out there, so they do. We're off to Cyprus now. Uh, Trish Brown is originally from Yall, um, and she's in the buying and selling of property out there uh, in Cyprus. You've been there quite a while now, uh, Trish. Good morning. Good morning. Thank you very much. Yeah, I'm there nearly 24 years. You just went out there and got a job in a bar, fell in love with the place, and that was it. It was a bit of a mad notion I had, really. Like, I hadn't actually thought it through. Um, I just thought I'd heard amazing things about it. Mm-hmm. Um, my boss's friend had an apartment here and said, oh, if you're going traveling, you have to start from Cyprus. You're going to love it. So that seemed like a good idea. I hadn't really looked into it. I hadn't really researched it. I didn't have a lot of money, <laughs> but I just had this feeling it'll be fine. I'll figure it out when I get there. Um, but it was a bit of a shock because... I didn't realize how seasonal it was. So mm-hmm. the first day in January, I did get um, a huge shock because literally everything was closed. Yeah. <laughs> I loved it immediately, though. And we made friends. The people are very friendly. They really remind me of the Irish, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So we made friends and we were able to stick it out until the season started and then got some bar work. And I was only there here, I think, two, three months. And I just thought... I just absolutely, this place just, I love it. It's so yeah. beautiful, makes yeah. me feel very happy and good life here, very good life here. I don't expect it's as seasonal now as it was then, is it? Uh, it's not. We do have a couple of very quiet months, but we actually really look forward to that because it's a very, very long summer and mm-hmm. it, it does get very busy and every year seems to be getting busier and busier. So it's kind of nice to have a, a couple of months where... There's still loads to do. There's still loads going on. Mm. The weather is still really nice, but it's just you kind of feel like you have you have beaches to yourself and, yeah. you know, it's, it is nice. Is there such a thing as winter? Well, if you could see, I'm looking out the window of my office now. There's a the beautiful blue sky. I can see the sea. It's actually, it's gorgeous today. It's about 24 degrees. <laughs> I had a, a lovely jog along the seafront this morning next to the beach and I still... Like, especially this time of year, but even after 24 years, I, I still have those moments almost every day where I just think, oh, my God, I'm so lucky. Yeah. It's just, it's very beautiful. 24 degrees in the final days of November, we take that. What does it get up it's, to then in yeah. July? Um, It does get very hot. It'll get to like 38 degrees when it's very, very hot, 36, 38. Mm. But it's windy, though, so it doesn't feel that hot. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> You got into property. You you buy and sell property out there now. Take me take me through that. Yeah, I was first offered a job in 2003 for a developer when Cyprus um, was about to join the EU. So their regulations on allowing people to buy had changed. Mm-hmm. And I knew within a few weeks that I would never do anything else. Really? Um, but really what I love the most, I, th- I always say that we're not, it's not so much property we're selling. It's the lifestyle that we're selling. Yeah. Um, I love taking people around and showing them why we have such a great life here. And then the, the property is kind of secondary. You you find the property that meets your needs afterwards. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I think it's it's probably one of the best jobs in the world, I reckon. Put that lifestyle 
into words for me because you sound you sound so relaxed even chatting <laughs> and I'm not jealous at all I'm looking out at sunshine <laughs> but it's four degrees not 24 right it's a bit different yeah um gosh there's a lot to say about that but like what you said I do sound relaxed because there is great balance here I feel um we have a very outdoor life mm-hmm. and even blue skies and sunshine every day does really there's a lot to be said for it it Mm -hmm. it makes a big difference to how you feel and you have a lot more possibilities every day when the weather is good um it's also very very safe here which does make a big difference too um the people are very friendly and the food is exceptional like the salads and the vegetables it's very easy to eat healthy here very healthy which also contributes to how you feel Mm. and because it's small areas there's no real commuting there's no traffic it's low rise everywhere so there's a lot of sky i don't know if that makes sense but you know yes it does you have that open feeling like you feel like you can breathe it there's just a very nice relaxed vibe Mm -hmm. so all of that together and the sea that we have here particularly on the east coast of cyprus i think you can only compare it to the caribbean like we have this ridiculously turquoise clear blue water and white sand which is is really stunning i mean the only problem with it is that we, we talk about this among our friends. We find it hard to go anywhere else on holiday because why would <laughs> it's not you? like Cyprus. <laughs> why, why would you when you've got that on your, on your doorstep? We think of it, those who've never been there, as kind of Greek and kind of Turkish with a kind of border in the middle. That was the old picture mm. we had of Cyprus. Is that still the same? Yeah, the north is occupied, as they call it. Um, so it's about a third of the island, we'd say. And it's actually very, very different. Now, even years ago, when I first came here, you couldn't cross the border. Now there are several crossing points. And it's really interesting, actually, because you really feel that you've you've gone to a different country when you cross the border. It's very, very different. Really? Um, yeah, it is. It's surprising, actually. Yeah. And our phones don't work there. So it's actually it's quite nice when we go across because we feel like we've really gone on holiday, even though it's only 20 minutes down the road to well, the first crossing. Your phone doesn't um, work in the other part of the island. No, no, it doesn't. No, so you just uh, you have to connect to Wi-Fi. So it's kind of nice, actually, to be cut off your phone for a while, too, sometimes. It's very beautiful over there, It's um, it, but it's, it's very different. It does feel very Turkish. Um, it's also, I would say, I don't know if it's the right word to say, but it's not as advanced. It's kind of, it's a lot more behind this side of the island. So it's interesting. But I do, I do miss Ireland a lot. I do, I miss our sense of humour. Um, miss the Irish. That's the only, I always say the only problem with Cyprus is we don't have enough Irish here. The last few years now, a lot more, I've met a lot more Irish. um, And the thing that I love actually is that it's something that we do as Irish that other nationalities don't seem to do. If people hear about me, you know, there's there's a girl in Blue Surf Property who's Irish, they'll just pop in or they'll get my number and they'll message me. And, you know, we'll meet up. And I love that because I actually get very, very excited mm-hmm. when I hear an Irish accent. So it is starting to change. There are a few more, but it's not easy for them. It's the ones that have really, you know, they've either been l- lucky and found out about it or they, they've really done a lot of research about where they want to go. And they decided to give it a go. We need you're, flights. <laughs> we do need we do need flights. Barry Holland and the crew at Cork Airport, if you're listening, can we talk about Cyprus? Because I want to go there, I think, given that. Given what Trish is, is telling me here. Yes. <laughs> you know, in, in 99 and 2000, when I came here, there was around 60,000 a year Irish coming here when, when our flights were active. And then um, Cyprus Airways went bankrupt, unfortunately, and nobody mm-hmm. replaced that route. There was a, 
a flight from Cork, which was always full. So we did have uh, we did have a lot of Irish back then. Mm-hmm. Ryanair do it out of mm. Dublin, I know. It goes to Paphos, which is the very west of the island. Yeah, about two hours from where I am. So by the time you drive to Paphos and then you get to Dublin, then you drive to Cork and then down to Yall. It's a, <laughs> that's a real. It's it's a bit it's, it's a, a bit hole. of a trek. Do you get home much? Um, I do try and get home every year, and my family come over a lot, which is great. One of my brothers lives here as well. Mm-hmm. My brother Paul. You yeah. married a local man. Yeah, my husband is Cypriot. And I've got two boys, two uh, Irish Cypriots, although if you ask them, they say they're Irish. <laughs> How did you meet? When I first came here, I was working in a bar, a bar called Fools and Horses, actually. They used to play videos of only fools and horses all the time. <laughs> yeah. It was very popular. And my boss there, my husband is his first cousin. So that's how I met him. He used to come in. How will they celebrate Christmas or will you come home? I actually love Christmas here. I mean, it's very different because it's the weather is always beautiful until it changes a little bit mid-January. It gets a bit more windy and the temperatures drop a bit. But we're nearly always on the beach on Christmas Day. And um, it's not very commercial, right. which I like. So there isn't such a big build up to it. You know, it's, it's quite a relaxed build up to Christmas, let's mm-hmm. say. So it's more about actually having time with family and friends and and eating and getting yeah. together and rather than presents and all of that sort of is, thing. Is, is there a religious element? Mm-hmm. They're Greek Orthodox, which is very similar to Catholic. I think we'll have to start putting a bit of pressure on Cork Airport to get flights out. Yes, you by the definitely sound, should. By the sounds of it, Christmas in Cyprus sounds fairly idyllic, let alone the summer. It is. It's lovely. I do. We do really enjoy it. And they do make a big effort. So there's lots of this Sunday now there's in in one of the local villages, they'll have all the streets closed and they'll have trains for the kids and there'll be music and um, the shops will all put on food and drinks for everybody who's passing and everybody gets together. It's really nice. Mm. We're not jealous at all. You know that, don't you? I know. Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) It's a pleasure to talk to you. It's the it's the it's the relaxation in your voice, Trish. I can't get over it. (laughs) Yeah, there's a lot to be said for it. There sure is. Very good balance here. There Mm -hmm. sure is. Best of luck to you and to your family. Thank you very much. And And I I hope I will meet you in Cyprus. Here's hoping. If we get that flight, you'd never know. Have a good day. Thanks, Trish. You too. Take care. Brilliant. Thanks, Trish. Doesn't it sound so chilled out? Like she's running a business, running a property business. It sounds so chilled out, like 24 degrees and she was on the beach this morning. Don't you just hate her? No, you don't. No, you don't. Barry Holland and the team at Cork Airport. There's another one to add to the list. Greece and Turkey would be nice. Cyprus would be lovely. Just, just, just saying. Just saying. Join the conversation. This is the Opinion Live. With Hidden Hearing. Focus solely on your hearing health for over 35 years. They're all ears. Visit hiddenhearing.ie. Cork's 96 FM. I just want to mention something in passing. Our old friend Billy Barry, um, formerly, of course, of the sports department here. Billy is involved in a big event this weekend to commemorate the jubilee of the first win by UCC in the Collingwood Cup. This was 50 years ago. Now, they're having a special reception with the Lord Mayor this lunchtime. And tomorrow afternoon, up at the Mardyke, there's a big commemorative lunch and a match between uh, two junior teams from UCC to mark 50 years since UCC first won 
the Collingwood Cup, which if you know anything about InterVarsity, football is a big event. Billy was involved back then um, and and is still involved in football today. But there's people travelling from the States to be at this event. There's people coming in from England. There's all but, I'm told that all but one of the panel from that day are still alive and well. So some session will be had if I know Billy Barry and his mates. Uh, so congratulations to everybody. 50 years since UCC won their first Collingwood Cup victory 1973. That's being commemorated this weekend in Cork. 0818 96 96 96. Now, not quite 50 years ago, but a few years ago, I was asked and privileged to present some awards at the Cork Martial Arts Awards down in the Metropole. It's, it's quite a few years back now. It's maybe, maybe 2017, I think. And on the night, I was asked to present a few uh, awards um, and one of the people who won on that night, and I had the privilege of presenting her award, was a young woman called Rosa Walsh, who was getting into the world of Brazilian jiu-jitsu and showing a lot of talent. In fact, one of the organizers that night said, oh, look, you're presenting an award to Rosa. Keep an eye on her. She's, she's going places. And she's now um, a European champion believe it or not. Hiya, Rosa. It's been a while. It's been a, a hectic few years for you. Good morning. Good morning, PJ. Uh, it has. It's been a wild ride for the last five, six years mm. since uh, we met in the Metropole. Uh, but it's been just an incredible experience overall. Like, it was something I started as a hobby, and now it kind of snowballed into becoming my job, you know? <laughs> yeah, because you are now effectively professional at Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. Yeah, and like the fact that that's even a possibility, like when I started back in 2014, like I was the only girl in Cork, maybe even Munster to an extent, and it was like, I was just doing it, I was in, I was in fifth year in school, I was doing it just so I could have a hobby, a pastime, and now the fact that I can do it professionally, I can travel all the world, around the world, and I suppose use Jiu-Jitsu as an excuse to travel, it's just, <laughs> it's fantastic. What was the the inspiration to start why did you take it up in the first place like i originally started um boxing when i was about 13 14 obviously post katie taylor's success and then it kind of snowballed into like thai boxing a very kind of like all combat based and then it was just in the gym that i was training in they were doing some juicy classes and i was like i was always kind of interested in judo which would be quite similar and then I saw that and it just really kind of intrigued me and I didn't really know what it was. So I took a class and then nearly 10 years later, I'm still there. And you have literally traveled the world. Like, where have you been in the last two, two years? I know the pandemic probably intervened for a bit, but, but you, were, you were going to the four corners of the world. Yeah, like, um, obviously, America is kind of the, the hub of Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu in terms of, like, opportunities to make money, to, like, win championships and stuff like that. Mm. So I've been back and forth to America quite a bit over the last two years. I have been all around Europe. I've been to Thailand. I've been to Brazil. And it's great because, like, I am going for holidays, mm. obviously, to experience the culture and the and country and everything, but it's, like, like I'm also going to make money from teaching jiu-jitsu or uh, whatever. So it's just a fantastic kind of two for one. Like, oh, you teach now as well, do you? Yeah, so I teach jiu-jitsu. I was original. I'm. I am a qualified secondary school teacher. And then I got this opportunity. It was after I was kind of sick for a bit last year. Mm. Um, and then afterwards, I got this opportunity to go to America and teach jiu-jitsu and stuff and everything. So 
I use a lot of the skills that I obviously have been using in my day-to-day job. Mm. And now it's I can kind of combine having being a qualified secondary school teacher and also being yeah. a professional athlete. Yeah. And you pick up a fight then. Will you, will you go somewhere to teach maybe, go on a holiday? And would you pick up a fight then? Or would you know, would you target your way around the world that way? Uh, a bit of both. Like in terms, like I'd usually be like invited out to uh, teach right. but then like I'd probably book um, a fight or a match maybe a couple of months out just to prepare right. but sometimes like for instance now in Thailand I was there for three weeks la- uh, in March of this year mm. and there was a competition just a very simple local competition that I kind of jumped into it was great because I just had I was there coaching on a like a on a camp and I just had the opportunity to just jump in at a last minute local competition so mm. it's a bit of both but it would be more I'm getting invited to coach or teach at these different events. Now, you were awarded your black belt there only a couple of months ago, and it was nice because is it your best friend and your coach who she got to award yeah. it to you? Yeah, Sophia Davis, she is a black belt from Wales, but she's now in New York. And we were friends for a while, and then we kind of like we rode in kind of traveling around the US last year, so we became a bit closer. I am a part of the team that she represents in New York. And we were in Barcelona. She was running this kind of this girls only jujitsu camp and I helped organize it. And then she surprised me on the last day. So it was like it was just so lovely to get it from somebody who's so important to Mm. me. And then like she's the best in the world. It was like to get it from somebody as well. who She's a world champion, isn't she? Yeah. And there's a thing about jujitsu. I learned this because I have a friend who's black belt, a carry man. It's it's about who awards it to you. You don't like not like other sports, other arts. You don't kind of do a grading for it. Your coach decides you're ready. Exactly, that's pretty much it. Like, there's no. It's not like in a lot of other disciplines and other martial arts. There's a lot more f- kind of formality to it. But with jiu-jitsu, it's like it's the person who has like been tracking your progress. They're mm. kind of like the they track themselves like okay she's at this level now this is the best time to award her so the person who awards you your your belt is like extremely important Mm. now literally within days of putting on that belt you had a european title tell me about that (laughs) that was just mind-blowing like i had no expectations for that championship um like i wasn't like it's like you said like i was just very new to the black belt ranks and i was like look i'm gonna go I love it was in Rome in Italy and I was like I love Rome I'll get to like sightsee a bit and then it kind of snowballed into me being in the final and all the finals run on the final day on the last day of the week and yeah and then I won and it was just all the stars aligned it was pretty it was pretty amazing so they put that medal on you Rosa Walsh European champion how's that feel I, I honestly, like, on the Sunday when I actually had won the event, I kind of was a bit numb. I was like, I just didn't really believe that. Everybody, it was so nice because, like, all of the Irish Jiu-Jitsu community were there competing themselves. And, like, it was just everybody was cheering for each other because they were Irish. So they were all, like, like so happy for me and, like, everything. And even, like, I rang my mom. And she was like crying on the phone. And I was like, I was just, just like, why are you crying? Like, I just didn't really, I was just so like dumbfounded. But then on the Monday, it kind of hit me a little bit. Yeah, there's, a, there's an Instagram video of you shedding a few tears yourself. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was just a post match um, emotion a little yeah, bit. Yeah, great, great to see. Now, there were world championships. Where and when? They're in December in Vegas. Wow. Have yeah. You, have you got your place there? 
I do, yeah. So I qualified last weekend. I went out. You need to, like, as a black belt, you need a certain amount of points to be able to qualify for the world. So I'm all set, registered, good to go. The young lady that I met in the Metropole a number of years ago was full of ambition and hope. I think, Rosa, one thing you'd like to get across is any young girl, any young fellow, but any young girl can do this with work, with hard work and dedication. Absolutely. Like, I was just doing this because I enjoyed it and because I had, like, I just, like it was such a great um, outlet for me to have and I had so much fun. But then it was like I had achieved all, I had achieved all these wins or medals or whatever and it was like, I still, I still love it, you know. I mm. still have the best time every time. I, I'm, I get so, I get so annoyed when I can't go to training for whatever reason, you know. So it's like, I just kept focusing on enjoying myself and like learning new things and like being around good people in terms of like my teammate, teammates and stuff. And that, mm. obviously, coupled with hard work, it really kind of just propelled me the last two years. You made friends for life, and who knows, who knows? This side of Christmas, I could be talking to a world champion. Ever since we met that night in the Metropole, I followed your progress. I am delighted for you. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Cheers, Rosa, and good luck. Good luck with those championships when they come around. Watch her on Instagram. You'll, you'll find her she's various different social media platforms, but you'll, you'll find her there. Uh, I, that whole thing there with who awards you the black belt, um, you're awarded by your coach when they think that you're ready. And it's funny, I have a, I have a friend who's a Black belt. He got it in New Jersey in the David Branch gym. It's important in New Jersey. And I sent him videos of Rosa and he said, I'm doing this sport all my life. He says to me, I'm doing this sport all my life. And she would leave me in small pieces on the floor. <laughs> so best of luck to, to Rosa at the Worlds when they come around. I haven't seen this on the telly yet, but the Coca Cola song, Shane Slattery, need a big nice. In for my big occasion for you. Yeah, we the switch on ice. Yeah, for the, the Christmas lights. Tell me all about it. Yeah, we invited neighbours, friends, family over. Um, we had Santa Claus as well, Great. and we unveiled the new Coca Cola truck that we added this year. Yeah, it's funny from a Christmas ad that came out years ago. We now have an actual truck and an actual road show. It's brilliant, isn't it? Yeah, it is nostalgic. It's, it brings back memories as well. Like, yeah, uh, I'm I'm just looking at the pictures here now. You had a, you had a, you had a great evening, um, and and it it was all for charity. Yeah, um, we're doing it for Cork Mental Health Foundation, and all the money raised will go towards the new for my hope. Mm-hmm. So the money stays local. Yeah, you've been doing this for a while, just having the family. Yeah, this is the third year we've done it for the charity. We've we've had lights up for the last kind of 10 to 12 years um, but every year it's kind of got more, more momentum yeah but so is there much toing and froing in getting the Christmas lights or night no, get the truck rather get the truck into into take part in an event like that um, there is it took about two full weekends to actually build it so myself my brother Raymond built it start of November yeah and yeah, another two weeks then putting up other Christmas lights with the rest of the family. Yeah, I'm, I'm so look, it's I'm, been full on for the month. I'm looking at the pictures here now. And of course, the man himself, Santa Claus, uh, obliged yeah. with, with a visit on the night. Yeah, he showed up and yeah, made a, it a great night. 
the, the videos are, I see the video here now of, of building the thing. It was a great, it's a great job of work and a great labour of love for you all. Like, what, what got your family into it? What was the, the sport to get into all this years ago? Um, I just liked Christmas lights and I've kind of bought more and more each year. Mm. Um, and then people were asking over the years, like, you should do it for charity. Mm-hmm. And then in COVID times, we said, look, we'll do it for Cork Mental Health. It's local. Um, I went to school with Dara Roach, who raised money for him as well with tractor and uh, truck runs in mm-hmm. Gilworth. Yeah. That couldn't happen with COVID on. So we decided we'll do it for that charity then. Yeah, I'm looking at the pictures. Is that your garden? Is <laughs> this fantastic? Yeah, it's our front garden and all the sides is lit up as well. It's brilliant. I'm, I'm just thinking though of the ESP bill come January. Like. <laughs> <laughs> it's not too bad. Yeah. Um, a lot of stuff is LED. Yeah, and of course that's, um, that's practically free to run. To be fair, it is practically free to run yeah, LEDs. It, it, it's not crazy, but the inflatable stuff would cost a bit. Yeah, those 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 motors, they, they suck up a bit. Yeah, and there's about 20 of those in the garden. So 20 of them? I'm looking. Yeah. Oh, I'm looking here at a big wide-angle shot now. Oh, they're everywhere. <laughs> they're fantastic. Yeah. They're abs- yeah. And you've got. A, have, you, have you the garden all wired up? Did you have to get a spark to do that, or did you do it yourself? Yeah, we add more and more each year, so it is set up for us. Yeah, it's fantastic. Um, Brilliant all together. Yeah, they're on each evening from five p.m. to nine p.m. Very good. So anyone can come and see it and donate either online or. Um, on the gate as well. Yeah. What's the online if if people can't get down there but they want to donate? What's what's the online? Yeah, we have a Facebook page set up. Um, it's Slattery's Christmas Lights, twenty twenty three. Great. And there's links on that, and you can go onto the Cork Mental Health website as well, and there's a link on that as well to donate. Excellent, excellent. And they're up every evening. What time do they go on? They go on at five until nine each evening. Super. the first week in January. Super. And you can't miss them. Put it this way. You can't miss the host. (laughs) It'll be seen from space. (laughs) Hopefully. (laughs) (laughs) All right, Shane. Good luck with it. Shane Slattery. And we'll be doing that over the next couple of weeks. Three weeks today, we'll be all finishing up for the holidays. Um, And all the big Christmas lights displays will be coming on. And we want your pictures. We'd love your pictures. And we will share them on our socials. Um, we would absolutely love your pictures of your Christmas lights, no matter where they are. I was coming through uh, Ballyfehan last evening, and you can always rely on Ballyfehan because they really pull out all the stops. And already there are houses in Ballyfehan that are like Vegas. And it's great to see. I absolutely love to see it. And I remember up Ballyvalan as well, Ballyfehan, Ballyvalan. Up there behind the shopping centre, there were some houses who used to, and this has gone back a few years now, but the two guys who owned two opposite houses in one of the parks up behind Duns in Bethlehem, they used to compete with each other for the biggest display of Christmas lights. I really want to have some fun with Christmas lights over the next couple of weeks. So get me in your pictures. Join the conversation. This is the Opinion Live. With Hidden Hearing changing lives with the latest hearing health technology. They're all ears. Visit hiddenhearing.ie Coach 96 FM